if we can uh, just take a minute and uh, pray for Sean and Susan and Isabel and Caleb and Isaac. And uh, so if that's okay, I'm going to pray for them right now. Father God, we love you and uh, thank you for loving us and just uh, taking care of us. We're grateful that you've uh, called us to be a part of your team and to be a part of your family. And uh, we're so grateful to serve alongside families like the Inchaustigis, and uh, so we just want to say thanks for their service to you, and uh, we do pray for kind of this in-between year as they're uh, being equipped here in the States and, and uh, doing some fundraising, and, and uh, we pray for the kids as they're in school, and just uh, uh, we just lift them up as they uh, are really preparing to head back to uh, Mexico and to serve there, and uh, this summer they'll be leading, uh, you know, d twice as many camps as they've done before, and uh, that's exciting, God, and we're, we're grateful for that growth, and we're grateful for their, the, that expanded ability to share your story, and, and we just uh, continue to pray for um, all the good work that's going on there and for the preparation for that good work that's going on right now uh, here in uh, this area, and so uh, we just uh, pray for the Chowstickies, God, and we, we do pray for their ministry goal of, of 2020, and just uh, lift that up to you, and we know that's in your hands. We're grateful that you're a big God who can handle that. Uh, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I hope you're looking forward to Christmas. One of the things I enjoy about uh, Christmas season are the, the Christmas uh, movies, you know, all the shows that maybe you remember from childhood that you look forward to. There are some, there are some that stand out, right? Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a, is a classic, you know, book and then television show that maybe you remember from from childhood or maybe you've seen it this year. Uh, it had to go through some changes from the book to uh, the television show. And, and one of those changes, we have a picture of the Grinch here in the book. If you read the book about the Grinch, you'll find uh, this character drawn in black and white with some red highlights uh, throughout the, the book. The whole book looks like that. And the producers of the television show thought that that wasn't vibrant enough for a TV. And so they decided to change the complexion of the title character, the Grinch, from black and white to kind of that bright green that we're familiar with. When you think of the Grinch, you probably think of that sort of green, uh, goofy character. And so uh, that's a change that had to be undertaken in order for the, the book to be transitioned to television special, right? Another uh, movie that maybe you remember from childhood is uh, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas, the Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, a favorite every year, right? Uh, this story is a little different. In fact, uh, you know, it's a sort of a change that almost kept the Charlie Brown's Christmas off of TV altogether. Uh, around this time when this show was being put together, almost all uh, comedy shows had a laugh track overlaid, you know, to, to let you know when something was funny. And so, uh, you know, they always had a laugh track, and uh, Charles Schultz said, I don't want a laugh track. And in fact, in one meeting, when they were talking about, hey, we really need a laugh track here so people will understand that this is, uh, this is supposed to be fun, uh, he got up and left the meeting, just left. And they kind of got the message, and they didn't put the laugh track in, but that made... For the producer's taste, the show too serious, along with way too much conversation about religion and Jesus. They almost kept that show off the air altogether, and it would never have become the classic that it is today, probably, if, if not for those changes that almost kept it off the air. 
The last Christmas movie I was thinking of this week is this uh, fun show called Home Alone. You guys have seen Home Alone, right? This, this crazy show about a, the family who leaves their little boy at home, and he has to defend his home against these, these uh, burglars who are trying to rob his house. And so uh, one of the hilarious things about this show, I guess, is, is that you know doctors have determined that these, these criminals would have died like 13 times uh, throughout if everything that happened in the movie actually happened to them they couldn't survive that physically and so you know and and so just a wacky sort of comedy one of the things that'll change the way you view home alone though is to know that it's not just a heartwarming christmas show around the world in fact it's way more meaningful in some parts of the world than than that in poland for instance it's a movie that symbolizes freedom because right around when this show was produced, sort of the Iron Curtain was falling, and one of the first movies shown after that in Poland was Home Alone. And so while it's a Christmas favorite in the United States, it's a movie that uh, stands for freedom and democracy and all that sort of stuff in the nation of Poland, sort of changes the perspective, perhaps, from which you view a movie like Home Alone. We know that as we navigate through life, there are occasions, there are times when we just have to make a change. And sometimes that happens even around Christmas. We can make changes that we really need this Christmas. I think the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, we'll be working our way through uh, Luke chapter 1 from verses 57 all the way uh, to the end of the chapter in verse 80. And I think that this story teaches us three chances we have to make uh, really important changes this Christmas. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 57. We're talking about these three chances we have throughout this story, and I think we'll divide the scripture up this morning through those three chances. So just uh, open up uh, your Bible to the first chapter of Luke. If you're using a phone or another device to read scripture this morning you can and you're using the YouVersion app you can probably find the section of scripture and the outline from the bulletin from the welcome packet if you find Wallula under the events tab in the YouVersion app so Luke chapter 1 verses 57 to verse 80 three chances this morning we have to make change in our life the first chance we have is to really change direction to really follow through. I, want, I want to begin reading in verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. So this first change is to really change direction. You may, might remember this first chance is to change direction. Uh, you might remember that uh, our, our story began, uh, we've been flip-flopping, I guess, through two birth narratives, through two 
through two stories about the birth of a of two different babies, the Jesus and John, and and uh, you know the story began in Luke chapter one with this angel introducing himself to Zechariah and telling Zechariah that your wife is going to have a baby, and Zechariah didn't believe, and everything that happened after that, and we're we're at the culmination of that promise now to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's time for Elizabeth to have her baby. And uh, relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. You know, there, there's some thought that Elizabeth lived in seclusion and until she was ready to give birth. And, and probably for some period of time, she stayed pretty much to herself. And, and I'm sure that while she was living in seclusion, if you want to use those terms, or, or keeping to herself, or she wasn't in the places where she normally was, and, and people said, well, I wonder where Elizabeth is. And they sort of filled in the blank with their own idea of what might be keeping Elizabeth away. Uh, most likely, they didn't fill in that blank with the idea that, hey, I bet Elizabeth is pregnant. She's going to have a baby. She was, after all, old enough to be somebody's grandmother. And so it's quite likely that they filled it in with all kinds of excuses or reasons or problems. And so when they finally realized that Elizabeth was pregnant and she was having a baby, they were excited and they wanted to be a part of that. And they, they realized how much God had shown her mercy uh, just that idea that God had shown her great mercy, uh, first and foremost, that she would have a, a child that they, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying for uh, for so many years, and so God was, was faithful and provided them with that child, but, but secondly, just that she was safe through that childbirth. If you study history, you'll learn that around the first century, the average life expectancy was about 40 years old, and we sort of think when we hear something like that that nobody hardly lived past the age of 40. And that's just not true. That's an average after all. And so there are folks who lived long past 40, and there were folks who died well before 40. And one of the things that keeps that life expectancy in the ancient world so low is that maybe the most dangerous part of your life was the very beginning. Childbirth was just extremely dangerous in the ancient world. And maybe the most dangerous thing that a mother would ever do was to give birth to a child in the ancient world. And uh, uh, if you lived past those first few years of childhood, then it was likely that you would have a, a normal kind of life expectancy if you could avoid a few other pitfalls and uh, headaches along the way like warfare and that sort of stuff that tends to, tended to end life, especially in the ancient world, early. And so that Elizabeth and the baby was healthy was a God showing them great mercy. And so the community gathered together and they shared her joy. I, that's, I, I couldn't get past that phrase this week as I was thinking about this message, sharing in other folks' joy. I, I know I'm not very good at it sometimes, and, and maybe around Christmas we're a little better at it than others, but we need to, we need to remember that God is, is working not only in our lives, but in the lives of folks around us, and we can take the opportunity to just share in the joy of, of folks around us, our family and friends, our community. We can see the good things that God is at, is at work doing. Uh, on the eighth day in verse 59, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called 
John. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And this is important, I think, uh, for a variety of reasons. One is that it points out to us that how important it was to Zechariah and Elizabeth to follow through on what God asked them to do, on these sort of godly traditions, on the things that that, uh, that God said, hey, this is what I expect my people to do. And, and from Genesis chapter 17, there was a covenant that was set forth with God and his people through Abraham and to circumcise uh, all the male children. And so on that eighth day, that's when uh, that was to take place. And so we can see that Mary or Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were, were serious about following through on those on, on keeping the law and doing what God would instruct them to do. Uh, it's interesting that we read the eighth day, and here again we're reminded that that was the particular time. It, it just reminds me of how faithful God is. Just as surely as Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful, God continues to be faithful. You see, there's, there's something that happens in the first few days of, a, of an infant's life. Evidently, you need vitamin K in order to clot blood well enough to survive surgeries and those sorts of things, and, and vitamin K isn't produced sufficiently enough in an infant's life until between the fifth and seventh day. And then on the eighth day, there's a spike in vitamin K production. Now, it took doctors until 1935 to figure this out, but God knew it all the way back in Genesis chapter 17, huh? And he designed us that way. And it is just remarkable to me that as we see uh, Zechariah and L Elizabeth remain faithful to God, this is just a small reminder and, and that took thousands of years for us to figure out that God is faithful to his people and that he was uh, remaining faithful to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But none of that's the most important stuff that's happening in verse 59. The most important thing that's happening is that they're getting ready to name the child. They're excited about it. And they come together, that word they, it, it really was a crowd. It really was the community. Uh, see, unlike in, in our day and age when maybe mom and dad decide what to name the kids, the whole community was involved in the naming process. And so they gathered together and assuming that this was the firstborn son in this family, they would name him after his father, Zachariah. You know, names were just so important in their world. Uh, their names are important today. They, they, uh, they tell others who we are a little bit, but maybe we've lost a little bit of, of the importance of, of names. Uh, my son has a friend, his name's Noah. Noah's a good name, isn't it? Uh, his name's Noah, but everybody calls him Taco. I asked Clayton before, I said, well, why do they call him Taco? Does he like tacos? And Clayton said, sure, he likes tacos, but everybody likes tacos. I mean, does he eat a lot of tacos? Well, not really. Well, why do they call him Taco? I have no idea. You know, they, we don't know. Well, they call them taco. Maybe names have lost a little bit of significance in our world. Names were very important. And they, uh, the community just assumed that Zachariah and Elizabeth would name this new baby, firstborn son, after his father to carry on sort of that, that legacy. Verse 60, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. Well, they thought this can't be right. And in verse 61, they sort of rushed past, past Elizabeth, and they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Maybe she forgot that, I don't know. Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. His name is John. 
it's interesting, you know, names and how important they are. And, and uh, you know, they, they sort of ignored or rushed past Elizabeth saying, no, his name is, is called John. And we, that's another difference in our culture today, right? I mean, what, sort of what sticks with a kid is generally what, what mom calls that young child. I've, I've told some of you the story before that my, my oldest is named Clayton. And, and uh, she, you know, we were deciding what to name him when uh, just before he was born, Sherry said, I really like the name Clayton. I thought, that's too serious. You know, I, you know, it just sounded heavy for a little baby. And I thought, Clayton's too serious. And, and so I'm not sure if I like that. And Sherry said, I really like Clayton. So I said, well, okay, how about this? Let's name him Clayton, but we'll spell it with a K. And his last name's Kaufman with a C. And so his initials will be KC. I thought I was so clever. And we'll call him KC. And Sherry said, that's fine, you can call him KC. I'm going to call him Clayton. And so that's how, what happened. We named him Clayton. And I was telling a buddy of mine this. We're, we're going to name him Clayton. We're spelling it with a K. We'll call him KC. And he asked, well, who's going to call him KC? And I said, I'm going to call him KC. And people will call him KC. He said, what's the mom going to call this kid? I said, well, Sherry wants to call him Clayton. But I'm going to call him KC. He said, everybody will call him Clayton. I said, no, you don't understand. Right? You, you, I'm in charge here. I'm calling the kid KC. Nobody ever calls my son KC. I never call my son KC. So a little bit different. They rush past Elizabeth and they get to uh, Zachariah and they said, what's his name? Zachariah responds. With, I, I, I'm not sure we understand how powerful those words are. His name is John. Why are they so powerful? It's because uh, Zechariah has really changed direction. You go back to the beginning of chapter 1, he's unconvinced that any of this will happen. He's unconvinced that God will follow through, that God will, will keep his promise. And he, boy, is he convinced now. And what's more, he has changed direction. Now, sometimes when we talk about repentance, this idea of changing direction, we think, man, somebody's got to be way off the boat. You know, they've got to be missing the target so far for them to need to change direction and come around. That's not who Zechariah was, huh? Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was there on the eighth day to circumcise his child. Zechariah was a guy who followed through on what God would want him to do in his life. And still, he needed to change direction to really fully be on board to really do what God would want him to do. And he committed himself to actually doing it. No, his name is John. You know, it's one thing to say, I know God wants me to name him John. I think John might be kind of a cool name. Maybe his middle name can be John, right? To follow through, to stay committed, to really, really change direction. Our first chance to make changes this year is to follow through and stay committed and actually change direction. Uh, just like Zechariah, who spoke instantly after that, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak with the only spoken word, the only response that really made sense, praising God. And man, did that make a difference, huh? Our second chance is to dream a little with what God can do through us, to dream with, with God about what he will do. And that's what uh, the community and Zechariah and Elizabeth do in verses 65 and 66. 
All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. All the neighbors were filled with awe. We're used to people being excited about babies. Even, even a long time ago, when, when we brought home our first son on December uh, 20th, he was born right around Christmas. So we took this picture, you know, we put the little baby. He's not even as long as a stocking. Here's the picture we took, right? We are so used to that response. You show somebody a baby, and even if it's an ugly baby, people say, oh, right? That's the response. Well, this is a completely different sort of, not that Clayton was an ugly baby, that's not what I meant, Clayton. I didn't mean that. I mean, you grew into that, but that's not what I <laughs> meant. No, I meant he grew out of. Anyway, we say awe when babies are born. It's so cute. This is a different sort of awe. They were amazed at what had happened. They were amazed that Zechariah spoke, that God followed through. That the, They were amazed that Zechariah and Elizabeth were having a son in any event, that any of that was happened in Zechariah, who couldn't speak and maybe couldn't hear for those nine months, instantly praising God with his voice out loud so that everyone, including himself, could hear. They were amazed by it, and they couldn't wait to talk about what God was doing. They couldn't wait to talk about what God might do through this little baby what God might do through the life of this child and what might happen. We talk so much about belief at Christmas time and we talk about magic and the impact that all that has. You know, we, we have, a, in our house, we have all these Christmas decorations, a few of those Christmas decorations. We have these elves that are elf on the shelf. Anybody have an elf on the shelf in their house? We you have some of these and we, we decorated the Christmas tree and we got out Christmas decorations and we put the elf, we have two of them, we, we have an elf in a little red costume and we have an elf in the Kansas City Royals costume and we set them out on the shelf and they sat there and our kids are older, they're you know 16, almost 17 years old and 15 years old and uh, 13 years old, they're, they're a little bit older now and so the elves got out and they sat on the shelf and you know a few days into Christmas, maybe 12 or 15 days into Christmas, one of my kids asked, are these elves ever going to move? I said, well they're older elves now. <laughs> You know, it takes them a little while to warm up. And, and besides, haven't we caught on that this really isn't what, this isn't the biggest part of Christmas, huh? I mean, you talk about Christmas magic and you talk about Christmas expectations. And, and man, in, in verses uh, 65 and 66, the crowd were, was filled with expectation. They were so excited about what God might do. We can be excited about what God has done at Christmas. The real difference maker at Christmas is that that God enters this world and that he invites us into relationship with him, that he invites us to be a part of his family, that he makes us a part of his team, that he supplies us with talents and skills and resources to be a part of his team. And who knows what God might do with those talents and resources and skills. If we're faithful like Zechariah and Elizabeth and ultimately like this little baby John was faithful to God's call on his life, we can dream about what God might do. And, and finally, 
that, that third chance is that we can share our story. You know, Zechariah is speaking, and so he, he's going to praise God. And we, we read these next few verses as Zechariah praising God and sharing the story of what, what God has done and will do in the life of, of his son John. In verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And what a tremendous song of praise that Zechariah shares, really sort of seven characteristics of, of Christmas that we, we find in, in Zechariah's story and the story of his son John and their family story. In verses 67 and 68, Zechariah's talking about a God who redeems us, who buys us back at a price. In verse 69, he's talking about a God, uh, this horn of, of salvation. And in the, in the Near East, the most powerful animals had horns. And so the horn became a, a symbol of power and, and Jesus comes to provide peace, but he comes in power as well. Verses 70 and 71 talks about the salvation that he, he offers, the fact that he will reunite us with our God. And verses 73 and 74, that we can serve God, that we can come in, in front of our God and serve him without fear, that, that this powerful, big God loves us enough to make a, a way for us to be a part of his family, to have a relationship, a conversation with him, uh, to be able to come before him without fear, that John would, would be used in a powerful way in verse 76 and verse 77, that all of this is, provides us with a newness through the forgiveness of our sins, a relationship with Jesus that makes all of the difference and that allows us to share our story. Verse 80 is just sort of you know, these two lives of John the Baptist and Jesus will we'll hear about their births and then we'll hear about their ministry when they're grown adults and their childhood uh, are, us are summed up in just a few verses. And, and John's childhood gets verse 80. I mean, that's it. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he uh, appeared publicly to Israel. So his story, he lived out his story. He was, remained faithful to God, and he really did what God sent him to do. We can share our story. Christmas time is one of those times in our culture that is just so unique. It's ingrained in, in our society. It's ingrained in our culture. Sometimes we miss why Christmas exists. Sometimes we miss, you know, what we're really celebrating. But you cannot turn on a television. You cannot go to a website. You cannot listen to a radio station without hearing about Christmas. Everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you hear around this time of year is Christmas. What a unique and powerful opportunity for us to share the story of why we celebrate Christmas. What makes Christmas meaningful to us? What difference has Jesus made in our lives? And so go and share that story. 
We want to equip you the best we can to help you to share that story. Grab these invitations that are on chairs around you. Invite folks to worship with you on Christmas Eve. Stop in the lobby and take a picture next to the wall. Hold the little sign that has our Christmas Eve service times. Put that picture on, on Facebook and Twitter and on all your social media outlets. I, I can't keep track of all of them, right? Use that picture. Invite your friends. I would love for my social media uh, mediums to be just filled with pictures of you folks inviting others uh, to our Christmas Eve services. Just share your story. You are way more creative than that, all right? And God has designed you more creatively than that. And so use the talents and the skills and the resources that you have to share your story with others this Christmas, to share the difference that Jesus has made in your life and, and just share his love with others in a powerful way. Share your story this Christmas. You know, we can make those changes uh, this Christmas. We can change direction in our life and, and we, can, we can get back on track serving him and sharing our story for him. And these Christmas movies uh, sometimes needed to, to be changed to come to air and sometimes they, they changed the way we view Christmas or the way we view these movies changed after they came out. When you think of Christmas mu movies, it's, it's probably somewhere in the top five you think of a movie called It's a Wonderful Life. This old black and white movie, right? You, you see it on TV every Christmas season. You've watched it growing up. Maybe you, maybe you have plans. Uh, some families have special traditions. I, we watch this on a certain night and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's interesting to me that It's a Wonderful Life was actually a failure when it first appeared in theaters. It lost money. It was sort of relegated to the back lot and nobody thought of it as much of a success. In the 40s when it came out, it was more popular based on the radio plays that followed the movie than on the movie itself. It wasn't until much later when television stations were looking for something to play around Christmas time and they realized through a clerical error that the copyright had expired on It's a Wonderful Life. And they said, we can show this at Christmas. And they started to air It's a Wonderful Life on their television stations because it was cheap. It's interesting that it's become a holiday classic, a Christmas classic, because it was inexpensive. Completely changed the way we view that film. Our lives can change this Christmas, but it didn't come cheap. It took a God to put skin on and entered this world to be born a baby, to live, minister, teach, heal, ultimately to choose to go to a cross and die in our place, pay a price that I owe, that you owe, and that neither of us can afford. Our lives can change direction. It wasn't inexpensive, but the price has already been paid. We just have to say yes to him. Let's stand and worship.